Hello and welcome. Thanks everyone for joining. It's the end of September, September the 30th, as I'm recording this. Just spending a little bit of time reflecting and thinking about the articles we featured this week on the AEI Premium site. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about those today. The first thing we focused on was building off the fertilizer article we wrote last week. We saw that nitrogen fertilizer, especially in hydrous ammonia, came down quite a bit. It was like 14% from the spring highs. And we thought back about relative prices. And one of the things that we've shared with you all, perhaps we've beaten this drum a little too hard, is that when periods of inflation are occurring, it's relative prices that cause so much of the pain during inflation. And here we are, and we're thinking about relative nitrogen prices. And so we looked at the data, and it's something that we track and monitor on a pretty frequent basis, maybe once a year. But what we saw is relative and hydrous ammonia prices specifically have been all over the board. A year ago, the urea and hydrous price ratio was at nearly all-time highs, definitely highest that we've seen in sort of normal conditions. And what does that mean? When that urea divided by the anhydrous ammonia price is high, it means that anhydrous is historically favorable. So on average, a pound of nitrogen from urea costs about 1.24 times the price of that same pound from anhydrous. Last fall, it got above 1.5. Now, when anhydrous ammonia prices took off like a rocket ship towards the end of the calendar year, and as we got to the beginning of 2022, that ratio actually went to the other extreme. It went to one of the all-time low observations, and it was barely above one, meaning you could get a pound of nitrogen from urea for almost the exact same price as you get a pound of nitrogen from anhydrous. Now, in the last few weeks, anhydrous prices have fallen, much more so than the other nitrogen sources. And so this price ratio has gone back towards that normal. When we look at nitrogen of through liquid 28% versus anhydrous ammonia, very similar story. It got pretty high, not nearly as high as we've seen in the past with liquid 28%. But then we saw the tumble and we actually saw liquid 28% historically low, the lowest price that we've ever seen against anhydrous ammonia. And then it's gone up again in the last few weeks. Now, while this price ratio is helpful to think about, what's lost is the magnitudes of swinging from the extreme highs to the extreme lows and then going back towards average or back towards high. The second thing that's going on here, not only the swings, how many dollars does that swing represent? We also have a situation where when we have high fertilizer prices, a 10% premium starts to become a bigger deal in total dollars. So if nitrogen is 30 cents a pound, then we pay a 10% premium for an alternative source, it's three cents per pound. But if nitrogen prices are a dollar a pound, that 10 cents now equals a dime. So what we looked at in this article is what's the cost advantage of anhydrous ammonia for applying 180 units of nitrogen? If we're going to get that from urea or we're going to get that from liquid 28%. And again, last fall, when we saw the ratios get high, meaning anhydrous ammonia was attractive, that equivalent on a dollars per acre basis was like $50 an acre. And then when we saw it swing to the low side, we saw anhydrous historic advantage very, very low on a per acre basis. Now we have high fertilizer prices and we've returned to average or slightly above average. We see that 
The dollars and cents to use anhydrous is more than what we've seen in, in a lot of the past. And so producers who are maybe using liquid 28% or urea, there might be some motivation or opportunity or some reasons for them to consider anhydrous ammonia as they look at 2023. Now, keep in mind, it's not just the relative swings, it's how fast the swings have occurred. And it's this high price environment that's leading to these big dollar per acre signals for potentially switch. The other thing to keep in mind is that there's more than just historically speaking, it's pretty common to have anhydrous beating urea by 10 to 20 bucks an acre and anhydrous beating liquid 28% by 20 to 30 bucks an acre. There's a lot of reasons why producers would use alternative nitrogen sources, not just the dollars per pound of N, those agronomic and logistic issues. And so we're not here to advocate that you need to switch because it's lower cost, but we want to point out that we're at these really extreme price ratios, but also extreme price levels, and that's creating a bigger dollar per acre impact. So something to keep an eye on, especially as producers go to go price their products here throughout the fall and start thinking about 2023. The other article we spent some time on this week is capital expenditures. And capital expenditures are, of course, those assets that farms utilize for more than just a year. So there's usually depreciation involved with them. There's oftentimes some debt service that goes into that. Producers, when there are strong periods of profitability, kind of a rule of thumb is that when there's lots of profit, producers are going to go out and make those investments. Some of that could be tax management strategies, and some of that could just be you know making these big investments when there are sufficient profitability, sort of, and then you hold back when times get lean. So when we looked at this data going back to 2000, you can see that pretty common to have capital expenditures range between 30 and $35 billion annually. These are inflation-adjusted dollars that go back to 2022. During the last farm income boom, 2011, 12, and 13, these capital expenditures got above $50 billion for three consecutive years. So going from about 30 pre-boom to 50 55 billion during the boom so a pretty big increase then when that farming comes slipped we saw these capital expenditures return back to that 35 billion dollar range and then in 2020 when farm income started to perk up commodity prices got stronger the cfat payments government payments reached a high of 50 billion dollars we saw those capital expenditures start to trend higher right now we're somewhere in the $44 billion range estimated for 2022. So we've seen a big increase as expected. You can look back at this data for quite a bit in history. During the 1970s boom and bust, we saw farm capital expenditures get above $60 billion in 2022 dollars. So a lot more purchase activity, a lot more capital asset acquisition that was going on during the 1970 farm economy boom. But during the 80s, those purchases fell considerably below that 30 billion threshold we talked about earlier it's been you know from the early 1984 all the way to about 1996 or 1995 below 30 billion so somewhere between 20 and 30 billion and then we got back to that steady state so there are some booms and busts in this capital expenditure cycle but we have noticed that once farm income started to turn higher in 2020, so did the acquisitions that took place. What are producers spending those dollars on, those capital expenditure purchases on? The first thing to keep in mind is we took out the operator dwelling, but there's two big sources that they purchased in 2021, the most current year for those breakouts. About 32% of it went to machinery and 31% of it went to tractors. Now, there's several other categories of capital expenditures. There's land improvements, about 10%. 
buildings at 11%, trucks at 12%, automobiles at 1%, and then there's a miscellaneous category of 3%. Another way we can think about the changes in recent times is what categories we see going from one low point to the current 2021 levels. We do know that at a high level, total capital expenditure purchases on an annual basis increased 27% from 2018 to 2021. But that 27% didn't happen uniformly across all those categories that I previously mentioned. Tractors were up 45%. Machinery was up 31%. Trucks, so those were sort of the big movers up. A miscellaneous category was up also 47%. That's only about a billion dollars, a billion and a half dollars annually. So it's a pretty small category, but it had big changes. Now, the other groups here had pretty small changes. Trucks up 6%, buildings up 15%, land up 11%. But we did see a bit of a slip in the automobile category. Again, a very small category, about $400 million, but it did decline slightly. So the ideas here uh, to wrap this up are that these categories broadly follow the farm economy, but more specifically have a lot of variation from year to year. And I think it's a bit of a head scratcher. We'll see how this data continue to play out. The farm income story is sort of on par with that 2011 to 2013 window that we previously saw a farm income boom, but also a capital expenditure surge, but we're still subdued. We're still below those that previous level of activity. So we'll see how this plays out in the coming years, but it's maybe related to the supply chain issues, the lack of available equipment, maybe some of it's related to high prices in the general inflation period that we're experiencing that producers are a little bit hesitant to go out and make those big purchases. But it's worth noting that we have seen the upturn. The upturn might not be as large as we would have initially assumed given only that income story from before. The last idea I wanted to share this week is uh, comes from the weather side of things. Of course, there's been the tragic hurricane, the devastating hurricane that's impacted Florida and the East Coast. But it reminds me a little bit about how difficult it is to think about where these hurricanes are going to go and how they're going to make landfall. And one of the things that we at AEI think about, you know, making forecasts and making better forecasts. And one of the things that comes out of these storms oftentimes are some really interesting ways of making forecasts, communicating about uncertainty, and helping individuals make better decisions. One of the things that we'll notice in these is that they'll have these maps that have a bunch of lines drawn around them. They look like spaghetti maps. And those are called ensembles. And so what they represent is a bunch of forecasts. And so they're taking sort of the same set of assumptions about the weather and the current conditions, and they're running them through various models to get an idea about where the different paths of the storm might be headed. And then what they start to do is these forecasters can start to think about what do all of these forecasts collectively tell us. So moving from a bunch of individual forecasts to this collective overall consensus or this ensemble that gives us an idea about where low probability events might be, but also maybe high probability events. So there's this image that we included in the article that shows, you know, some of these individual models think the storm will impact Florida, but maybe some of them think it'll impact the Carolinas or Georgia. And then 
the other big group of forecasts say, no, it's actually going to stay off into the ocean. It's going to stay off the East Coast and not make landfall. And so they're able to say, hey, these are all possible outcomes. And reality is probably going to be you know, something a little bit different than any of these individual forecasts say. But the collective says, you know, there's sort of a medium to high probability that this storm remains offshore. There, But there are these outcomes that do point to landfall from anywhere from Florida all the way up into the Carolinas and Georgia. And so, again, just another way of thinking about it. I think oftentimes in our individual decision-making process, it's common to maybe pick a forecast that we like the best or pick data that supports our conclusions or focus on forecasts that maybe impact us the most. If we're thinking about this storm, we might only look at the forecasts that show us the weather hitting us or missing us, and we zero in on those. But oftentimes, how do we make some insights out of all the noise? We can sometimes use that noise in a way to sort of get a meta or a big picture overview of how things are tracking. So that's all I have for you this week. Keep in mind those relative fertilizer prices. I think we could continue to see those change, especially if we start to see big fertilizer price changes. Of course, there's a forecast network question about the probability of anhydrous prices falling below $1,000 a ton or above $2,000 a ton. Those will wrap up shortly, but you can get in there and get your forecast started on those. Check out the latest price data. And then, of course, always want to think about how we can improve our forecasts and also encourage you to update for the yield contest where we have the October and November forecast left to go on that. Again, I'm David Widmar. It's the end of September that we're recording this. But until next week, stay curious. 